Jinx's taking the day off, so. Um, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for that beautiful praise music. It's so good to, to worship and praise God together as a church. And I have a suggested name, the Folks of Bellevue. Folks of Bellevue. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to take a moment. Uh, Tink and I were discussing this weekend about how grateful we are to our church family for the very generous offering that you guys collected for us to help us with our mission trip to Australia. So I took a little moment yesterday and I wrote a card and just wanted to take this opportunity to read it. Dear church family, we wanted to take a moment to express our gratitude for your generosity. The love offering, your prayers, your encouragement and support mean everything to us. Please know that we are going on this mission with hearts filled with the intentions of serving God and others with all that we do. We will take the love that we have been given here and plant it in the name of Jesus. So Tink and I want to say thank you guys for just loving us, supporting us, and sending us out on this trip so that we can plant seeds there. And my challenge to you is while we're there doing the Lord's work, we want to come back and hear what you've done to plant seeds and and right here at home. And we can all be growing God's kingdom together. Thank you. Well, good morning. I should have had this opened up already. Yes, so thank you, Paula. That was very nice. And I, I've kind of failed maybe to, to thank you all for the giving so far. Uh, it means a lot because these trips are expensive, and um, but they're exciting. And if you can take the financial side down a whole lot, uh, it takes a lot of the burden off, and uh, we're grateful for that. And we hope that when we come back, we're not only are we encouraged, but we can share that encouragement for the kingdom work together. And Dale, don't let me forget. I want to, I want, we can, at the end of the service, we can pray. Uh, we'll pray for the trip. Paula and I will come up. And I've seen our old church used to lay hands on people all the time. And I've seen that be a great success. So I would like for that to happen here, if that's all right. So Sermon on the Mount still, salt and light, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. But before we get into that, I want to ask, has anybody chosen a care discipleship partner. I have questions for you in the bulletin and the questions will be in the bulletin every week. I already have a few partners. Um, so I encourage you, if you don't have a partner yet, to partner up. And uh, the, the information in the bulletin is pretty self-explanatory. So just look at that and find a partner and carry on. Last week we read the Beatitudes and I'm going to read them again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And if you recall, 
One of my main points from, from last week is that the Sermon on the Mount should convict us uh, of sin and to point us uh, for our need to our need for a Savior. And as we progress through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about anger, lust, divorce, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, fasting, laying up treasures in heaven, judging others, the golden rule, building your faith on solid rock, and the authority of Jesus Himself. So those won't necessarily be all the, all the topics we discuss, um, and we might, I, I think I'll cover I think I'll cover everything. So we will cover all of these, but there are a few more also. So that's just kind of a foreshadowing of the next couple weeks. And this week we will be discussing salt and light and that Jesus came to fulfill the law. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, I just pray that this, this lesson will be beneficial to the kingdom and beneficial to us here in the church and I just pray that uh, over the next two weeks that uh, as TJ and Steve preach up here that, that um, they deliver bold, gospel, impactful messages and uh, that everything goes well in Australia and that we're able to disciple people well and also to be discipled well and to share our faith with people and uh, just to be an encouragement to the believers there and be, uh, be a gospel impact to the lost people. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to, you to abolish the law or prophets or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You are the salt of the earth. So who is the you that Jesus is speaking of in this passage? The you that uh, Jesus is speaking of is the disciples. He's saying, hey, everybody that follows me, you have a job to do. You are to be different than the world. And to be, to be different, to be set apart, to, means to be holy. And uh, to be united with Christ means that you are in holy union with Christ. True believers are made holy because of the indwelling of the Spirit in their lives. And Jesus is commanding true believers in this passage to be different. We are to be salt in a decaying and tasteless world and a light in the dark. So how much time do we spend thinking about salt? Light makes a whole lot of sense to us, and salt also does, but how, how much time do we really think about salt? You might eat a french fry and you think, well, this is kind of bland, huh? We'll zest it up with a little salt. Well, I can assure you that Jesus was not talking about french fries. In Jesus' day, salt would have, the, the primary use of salt was to preserve food. They didn't have, uh, GE wasn't around yet, slinging out refrigerators from the factory. So salt was used as a preservative. And the, 
the modern day example that I could think of was country ham. So I reached out to TR Rash. Well, I actually reached out to Myra, but uh, I have a great country ham resource in TR. So um, Myra gave me a, a small chunk of his speech, which is actually the words of uh, Henry Clay. And it says, for every 10 hams of moderate size, take three and a half pounds of salt, one pound of saltpeter and two pounds of brown sugar. Mix thoroughly and rub the hams therewith on every side. Then pack in a tight box or barrel. So what would have happened if TR decided not to use this recipe and just put his ham into a tight box or barrel? It would have rotted, right? He didn't do that. Um, but a ham, like as we think about the preservation of the ham because of the salt, Jesus is telling us to be salt to other people. People in this world are decaying. Without, without godliness, they are rotting. So in, uh, on Wednesday nights, we've been studying 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 6 reads, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And this passage is actually a reference to false teachers, but the world today is full of false teachers. We have self-help gurus and psychics and mediums and worldly scholars and even some religious scholars, uh, and the list goes on. But if we believe the Word of God to be true, then the Word of God is the ultimate truth. The world has a current that can pull us away from godliness. And as we drift away from biblical truth and allow worldly nonsense to permeate our lives, we will begin to decay. We will slowly rot. So, so Jesus is telling us to be salt. In this dying and depraved and rotten world, we are to be the ones to preserve we are the antidote. He says, we are the salt of the earth. So we are the antidote to the decay. How is this so? Well, back to our country ham analogy. Think about this. And, and, and bear with me for a second. The meat itself represents a lost person. Left to itself, the meat is going to rot. And rotting meat stinks. And it's ugly and it's useless. And we are the salt. If we salt the meat in the correct doses at the correct times for the correct period of time, a beautiful and wonderful chemical reaction of some sort takes place. And a useful and functional country ham is produced. And I just felt, uh, where, where's Elizabeth's like, oh gosh, Elizabeth doesn't like country ham. So she's like, I just, she's, she's probably zoned out right now. Like country ham's disgusting. I like country ham, but I do agree it looks kind of strange. Um, okay. so. Salt is just an ingredient in this process. The process itself is up to God. He's the one that sets the conditions. He selects the meat. He chooses the duration of cure time. He judges the quality of the ham in the end. And if we are saved, we are the salt, but we are also, if we are saved, we're also the ham. And we want to be a prized 4-H TR rash ham. We want to be pleasing to the Lord in the end. And if that wonky explanation didn't make any sense to you, I've got a better one probably. We are the ones with the message of the gospel. We are the ones responsible for telling people about Jesus. 
We are the salt of the earth to preserve people from decaying and suffering and eternal separation from God. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 says, How then will they call on him, on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And remember when Mac Marie was here, I said, I don't often say that men have beautiful feet, but that man has beautiful feet. And I say that because he's the one that brought the good news to me. And without him doing that, I would not be standing here today. And that is true for us. We, we are to tell other people and people will come to faith if we open our mouths. So when we read or hear the word preach in this passage, I assume most people think of preacher or pastor. We might think, I'm so glad we have that new preacher. He was sent here to us to share the good news, and that is a true statement. But what is also true is, true is that you, Christian, are also called to preach the good news wherever you are sent. So if, if we are sent, our next question would be, well, where, where am I going to be sent? And God is not going to send an airplane to fly over your house and ride out in the clouds to, you know, Mary, go, go here, go there. There might be a direction at some point, but, but you have already been sent. And what do I mean by that? Well, where do you work? You know, in the American life, most of us, we, we work eight hours a day, we're at home for eight hours a day, plus or minus, and we sleep for eight hours a day. So are you sharing the gospel with the people that you work with? Are you sharing the gospel with your family members that you live with and your neighbors? Like you've already been sent to these places because you're already there. And if you're a believer, this, this is the place that you've been sent. Until you're sent somewhere else, that's where you're sent, is right where you're at. So we, the church, believers in Jesus Christ, can hinder the decay of this world by preaching the good news of the gospel to this world. And I don't know if you all have noticed yet or not, but I'm still on the first verse, so I've got to move on. But before I do that, let me see here. Before I do that, um, it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If salt loses its saltiness, it becomes useless. And I'm here to say that, Christian, if you lose Christ, you are equally useless. If the, the Christian must retain their Christ-likeness to remain useful to the kingdom, if we consider ourselves Christian, but are indistinguishable from non-Christians, we are useless. And do not forget that. So let's move on to 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I used this passage in a sermon a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to dwell on it too long, but salt and light are indispensable household commodities. The importance of light is much easier for us to understand in this current age, most likely. Imagine living in your house in, in a dark house with no light. We, we, have, we take light for granted, most likely, because we've had it for a long time. We just walk over and flip that little switch, and there it is. And, and I don't think we probably really think about it too much, but there was a time where that wasn't the case. And... Um, Jesus tells us in this passage that we are the light of the world. His expectation is that we would willingly walk into dark places and be a light in those places. 
We are called to illuminate the darkness. And I was, I, as I was thinking this week and writing this stuff, I thought, um, I went, I've been to Mammoth Cave several times, but one time we went in college for a geology class, I think it was. And I think it was a bit of a special tour. It was a really small tour, but maybe this happens every time you go. You go into the cave and the tour guide says, all right, everybody be totally quiet. And they turn the light off and it is black. It is just black and it is so quiet. Like everybody is totally still and it's totally black and it's dead quiet. And there's, you can't find that same sort of dark. If you go into your closet at home, there's gonna be some light that seeps in from somewhere. But that dark in Mammoth Cave is dark, dark. And she actually said that the early cave explorers would lose their, if they got lost, that their light would burn out and they would be trapped in that darkness. And she said that many of them, when they were found, if they were found, would be insane by the time they were found because it was so dark and so quiet that they would lose their mind. And some of them would actually, be, and I don't know if this is true or not, but she said that some of them, it was so quiet that they could actually hear their own blood flow. And uh, that's dark and that's quiet and that's scary. And it just made me think that's the darkest place I can think of. But when we think about when we think about being in a dark place, uh, that that's the darkest place I could think of. No light at all. There's no light coming in, and that's the that's the same darkness of the world. Without the good news of the gospel, the world is pitch black, dark, and and people you see people go insane without the light. So we are called to be the light in a dark place. I think most likely we all understand the benefit of light in a dark place. So I want to focus for a moment on two words in verse 16, which are good works. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good works are a good thing. And, I, and this made me think of uh, my time as a child back in Catholic school uh, that we used to draw. There was like a lit we drew out of a basket or a hat or something that had a list of good deeds. And so you draw it and you're responsible for making sure that that good work is accomplished. So uh, my thought is this, we must be careful and diligent about our good works. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Faith does not come by having your yard mowed or by um, paying for somebody's groceries. It's easy to fall in the trap of doing good things for people and thinking you are honoring God by your activities. You can cut everyone's grass, you can shingle everybody's roof, you can feed all the hungry, you can adopt all the children, but if you don't open your mouth and share the gospel, it's all for nothing. And I, I don't mean that, I, I'm not trying to discourage people from giving and doing and all these things, but without the gospel, our good works are a failure in the eyes of God. We are the ones, we, we have the good news, okay? So we are the ones responsible. Anybody can feed the hungry. Anybody can cut grass. We need to be doing those things, but we are the ones that have the good news that people can live in eternity with Jesus if they just believe. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, and I'm reading this out of the NLT, but Josh has the ESV because I didn't tell him the difference. But instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. 
Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So as we're doing these good works, we must share our hope. Where does our hope come from? Well, our hope comes from the Lord, and we need to be sharing that message. So when you're out and about doing good works, you need to think, how can my words change this person's life for eternity? And James says, not James Horton, uh, the writer James says, Faith without works is dead, and I'm saying that works without sharing the gospel is not a God-honoring activity. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So God revealed His standard for holy living in the Old Testament, and this was done through the law. And the law was full of sacrifices and ceremonies that seemed exhausting. And um, the Pharisees during the time of the Sermon on the Mount were still trying to honor the law. And Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount says that true righteousness should exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And remember that Jesus was upsetting the Pharisees because he was not himself keeping the law. He was healing on the Sabbath and doing things that they saw uh, as unrighteous. And Jesus didn't pay much attention to that, as we all know. But Jesus is sort of mocking the scribes and the Pharisees in this passage by saying, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I don't mean that he was mocking them in a sinful manner. He was calling them out and saying, they think they're righteous, but they're not. I am the true righteousness. He's saying that, that the scribes and the Pharisees don't even understand what righteousness is. Their righteousness is nothing but an artificial ritual in his eyes. It made them proud, restrained, and unfree. And Jesus is telling the people that he was speaking to that he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And I mentioned last week that LD gave me a couple books, and uh, one of them was a commentary by Warren Wiersbe. And I'm sure many people have heard of Warren Wiersbe, and I haven't until LD told me. But he gives a wonderful illustration. He says, this illustration is about the fulfillment of the law. He says, if I have an acorn, I can destroy it in one of two ways. I can put it, in, I can put it on a rock and smash it to bits with a hammer, or I can plant it in the ground and let it fulfill itself by becoming an oak tree. And I really, like, I really like that illustration because it makes a lot of sense to me. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, Jesus says, He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's, he's been the ultimate plan for redemption since the very beginning of time. God the Father didn't look up and say one day, Oh, these Israelites, they're, they're not able to follow all of my rules. I should do something different now. I should send Jesus to earth to die for our sins. Jesus was the plan from the very beginning, and He says it, says it Himself. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. So Jesus was the plan all along. And that's evident if we go back and read the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is pointing to, it, pointing to Jesus. So true righteousness comes from our belief that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, 
died on the cross, ascended into heaven where He reigns until His return. And if we believe this, we ought to be living it out faithfully by doing what Jesus tells us to do. He tells us to be salt to a rotting world. He tells us to be light in a dark place. And He reassures us that He is the righteousness that we seek. So our ultimate purpose in our life should be to serve the one true King. Jesus gives specific direction on how to do this in Scripture. And my question to you all is, are you following His direction? Are you, are you in the Word and trying to understand what Jesus' desire? It's, re, it's really simple. Jesus came to, say, to seek and save the lost, and He did that. And we were lost, and if we're saved, we're found. And our whole purpose should be to share the gospel in love with other people. So are you following His direction? If you aren't currently following His direction, turn from your sin and start living for the King today. That we talked about this morning that uh, Justin gave the example of how would you live if, if you only had 30 days left? We knew, if we knew that Jesus was coming 30 days from now, what about your life would change? And many answers were uh, urgency. We would be more urgent about sharing our faith with others. We'd be more urgent in our relationships about, uh, about the way we love one another and, and how our marriages are just an earthly situation. We're not going to be married in heaven. We're, we're going to be with the Lord. And, and so just to have that perspective of what if we only had 30 days left to serve Jesus? What will we do as we leave here? And we should have that same urgency because we don't know if we even have 30 more days. And, uh, and I can't wait to be with Jesus. So I'm not scared of that. I'm just saying we should live our lives a certain way. If we are saved people, we should willingly be salt and light. And we should love and we should share the gospel. And um, we need to have an urgency that, that maybe we don't, uh, we don't consider too much because... The Lord has a plan for us and he, His desire is for us to be obedient to that plan and we should be faithful in doing so. So I just want to pray for us and uh, I want to say after, I already said it, we're, Paul and I will come up and if you all don't mind when Dale does his prayer, uh, we'll just we'll lay hands on me and Paula and you don't, and not everybody has to touch us, but we'll all just gather around and lay a hand and pray and it just, it's just starting to hit me that I'm getting ready to get on a plane for 24 hours. And uh, I've done that once before, and it wasn't, I wasn't too concerned about it because I've never been on a plane for that long. But now that I've done it, I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go again. I remember on the flight home from Africa, from Qatar to Dallas was a 16-hour flight. And hour four, I looked up and I was like, I am going to be on this plane for 12 more hours. And I cannot sleep on a plane. So I was just like a raccoon in a spotlight for, for a long time. So I'm sort of dreading that, but it'll be all right. Uh, I should be more grateful that, that I have the opportunity to go. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that, uh, that, that you saved those uh, in this building that you have. And I hope we all understand that we're supposed to be salt to this dark world and preserve uh, what you've created and to continue to deliver the gospel and be a light in a dark place. And I pray that uh, through this discipleship method that we're starting, that, that relationships are building and um, we gain traction for the mission that you've given us. And 
I hope this is just another step of faithful obedience that we get to follow. And I hope and pray that it's joyful and uh, rewarding, uh, not only for us that are participating, but for, for people that uh, are lost so that we go out to our workplaces where we have been sent and we share the good news with the people that we're around. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or you want to talk more about uh, the care discipleship method or you want to talk about salvation or you want to talk about Christ, please come forward.